T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is 7.08, down to 78 degrees, but still, that is pretty darn summery, just about. I mean, feeling pretty good. Uh, Esme Murphy, along with uh, Jonathan Lowe here in News Radio 830 WCCO. We got some great stuff coming up for you through 9 o'clock. Um, this half hour, we are going to visit with uh, the author of a new book called Gentrifier. And it's a book that looks at the issue of gentrification. Now, maybe you're not as familiar with that term because it's been a big issue in many other communities. But it's basically essentially – and I'll ask my guests about this. But essentially it's you know those sort of run-down neighborhoods that you know once upon a time nobody really wanted to kind of live in and was kind of ramshackled. Suddenly they're red hot and that's definitely happening in some parts of Minneapolis right now, downtown Minneapolis. And then – Coming up in the second half of this hour, we're going to visit with the project manager for the Nicollet Mall. And this guy must have uh, a lot on his plate because that project has been kind of moving very slowly and a lot of questions about it. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to visit with uh, my friend Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. He is just back from Israel. Uh, so we're going to get his take on that, but also certainly get his take on the extraordinary developments and the extraordinary fallout in the aftermath of the firing of FBI Director James Comey, as well as the obvious impasse that exists in our legislature. I mean, the legislature, the Minnesota legislature is supposed to finish up their business a week from Monday. That's not that far along. They're all sitting in boats today, fishing, and they caught some fish. And I don't think much else happened. Uh, but they've got to get something done this year. This is one of those budget years. And there really does seem to be a profound impasse here. And, I, you know, I've talked to some of these leaders and I, it, it seems to me I, I don't really know how they're going to avoid a shutdown unless there's something dramatic that happens uh, pretty soon. But anyway, that's in our 8 o'clock hour. But this half hour, we are going to visit uh, with John Joe Schlickman. He is the author, one of the authors of Gentrifier, and he is with us right now. Uh, John Joe Schlickman, thank you so much for coming on. Esme, so good to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, let me ask you, um, first of all, what what brought about the idea for this book? Well, uh, as an urban sociologist, uh, myself and my co-authors have been caught in gentrification debates for uh, decades, um, at least two. Um, Well, well, let me ask you, how would you, I mean, I gave my kind of off-the-cuff definition. I mean, how would you define gentrification? Because this has been a pretty hot issue in, in a lot of other communities mm-hmm. uh, and, and major cities. How would you define it? Let me, uh, let me pull directly from what we used for the book. So I'll give you two. Uh, one is a, a transformation of a, a working class or lower class or a vacant area of a city into middle class residential or commercial use. So that's, that's one. So transformation from lower class to higher class, either residential or commercial. Um, the other one that I prefer, one of my co-authors helped develop it, was the reinvestment of real estate capital or real estate investment money 
into declining inner city neighborhoods to create a new infrastructure for middle class and high income residents. And the reason why we go with that one in the book and the reason why I prefer it is because in order for there to be a reinvestment, there has to be a, a disinvestment. Um, and so one of the great injustices behind gentrification uh, are, are the disinvestments that pave the way for today's reinvestments. Got it. And, and you know, in, in some places, I mean, where there's been the most um, tensions from what I have seen and observed over the years is when you've got a lower income neighborhood uh, that is still a, a neighborhood where people and families live and suddenly they begin to get squeezed out as opposed to a neighborhood that vir- virtually has nobody in it. Right, right. I mean, these are these are the most controversial uh, topics is, is when there's actual families uh, being displaced. But, you know, of course, um, the, the more high-end units an area gets, whether it's empty or whether it was inhabited by uh, lower-income people before it, the more everyone feels the squeeze. So we also need to pay attention. Oftentimes there's a feeling of carte blanche when there's, you know, a factory that goes away and suddenly the city has, uh, you know, a few acres and, and we just make it all luxury condos. We, we need to be mindful of, of all of the patchwork of development. But yeah, absolutely. Displacement. Displacement is the, the hot-button word. All right. And in terms of, of your book, Gentrifier, what were some of the themes that, that emerged that, that you think, you know, going forward will continue to be hot buttons? Well, you know, I, I, for me, I think the, the future and one of the, the, the more important issues besides economic displacement is, is also uh, cultural displacement. Um, one thing that I always like to say is that, is that real estate doesn't go on sale. Uh, and one of the reasons why certain areas are especially affordable today was because of unjust policies of the past that made uh, Latino-owned and Black-owned housing worth a percentage of what white-owned housing was worth. Uh, we call these in the book the Ds. In order to understand the Re's, or in order to understand the, the re vitalization, the revaluation, the restoration, all of these, the redefinition of the neighborhood, the renaming of neighborhoods, all of these things that we're seeing, we need to understand what paved the way uh, for it. And so uh, I think we're going to see increased attention on these, you know, more and more books and more and more conversations are being had about these past policies that paved the way for these great real estate prices. Why is this house on this side of the city 30% 30% of the price of the house on the other side of the city. Well, it's, it's policies like redlining. It's policy like 94 being built through the city. It's policies like racial covenants. And all of these things made a, a, a major impact on especially Midwestern cities. Could I read a quote by your federal district judge, Miles Lord, from the 1950s? Absolutely. Here's, here's one. We, we went through the black section between Minneapolis and St. Paul. That's a quote. Quote, about four blocks wide and took out the home of every black man in the city and woman and child in both these cities practically. It ain't there anymore, is it? And what he's talking about are these land takings, land takings for highways, 
the denial of mortgage funds into neighborhoods. This is what set the ball in motion. And those boundaries, what we call demarcation in the book, those boundaries set in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, they're the same boundaries. They may have moved two streets, um, but they're the same boundaries. And so I think more and more communities are getting educated about you know, why their neighborhood is becoming hot. And, and then that's, that's opening up larger conversations. Our, our idea in Gentrifier is to say that any middle-class person looking for housing in the city, if they're in a gentrifying context, in other words, if there's gentrification going on in that city, they're a gentrifier. And so our goal is to destigmatize this word gentrifier and say a gentrifier is a middle class person looking for housing in a gentrifying city. But but let, let me let me ask you about this because I, yeah. I think that there is a movement um, across the nation right now mm-hmm. away from uh, decades of heading to the suburbs. And I know mm-hmm. more and more younger families are seeking to be across the country and here. In in our community, seeking to to move back to the core of the city, to smaller homes where they can walk to places, mm-hmm. uh, where they can have different kinds of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So that that's the kind of movement. I mean, that's sort of almost happening at the same time. I'm not sure. Absolutely. Is that is that part of this, or is that yeah. just happening at the same time, or is it a parallel movement? So let me tell you. So so. Economically, right, we have deindustrialization. We have factory jobs that were rooted in the center of the city that have gone. This has caused neighborhoods to deteriorate because there's, there's no longer those good-paying, low-skilled jobs. People who were employed in those jobs are, are now displaced economically. We have at the same time this huge rise in high-paying uh, service economy jobs um, that, that – draw 20-somethings and 30-somethings from new college grads, new graduate school grads who are looking to live uh, near their job. And that's kind of the cultural shift is that, as you say, people want, number one, a short commute. Um, I I think the suburbs have lost some of the allure for like, you know, when – for, for 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 some people, especially younger people in their twenties and thirties and maybe even early forties. Yeah, I had I had someone who's seventy years old in my family uh, say to me, you know, a commute is just part of the working person's life. Uh, you know, what's what's wrong with you? Why are you making a big deal of this? Herb Herb Gans, who's a sociologist, he said in the nineteen sixties that the suburbs are just a showpiece for middle class life. There's nothing special about the suburbs. They're just a manifestation of what people are looking for in the nineteen fifties. In the 1960s, gentrification is a manifestation of, of middle class life in 2017. People are looking for walkability, perhaps as a backlash from our, our crazy uh, overbuilding of the suburbs. So people are looking for walkability. People are looking for a short commute. People are looking for homes with character, however they define that, that can have lots of loaded meanings, but they're looking for crown molding and tall ceilings and these things. People are looking for diverse, class-diverse and, and race and ethnic-diverse neighborhoods. And people are looking for a good deal. Now, oftentimes, all of these facets of a home buyer's decision can lead them into that rut that had been paved by previous disinvestment that wasn't so just or fair. It didn't just happen naturally. And this is why communities are mobilizing and say, 
hey, wait a second, you know, you can't just put that new rail line through here and say that you intend it for, you know, for, for it to do us good. We know what you're up to. We've seen this before. Let's have a conversation about this. And I think the very same students who are my students who are graduating, who are against gentrification in, in their mind, they're the very ones that are going to be gentrifiers because they want to live in the city. And that's who this book is for. Right. In terms of, of you know, where that because, you know, it, to some extent, it sounds like it's got, you know, sort of a negative connotation, you know, for, for many people it does. But yet for other people who find these new homes and enjoy these new neighborhoods, it's a positive. Is, is there a way of kind of sort of accommodating both, you know, those who are being displaced by these higher prices? Well, you know, uh, the new mayor Hodges in, in, in Minneapolis is is talking a very good talk from what I've just seen and and you know, uh, leading up to this interview, um, talking about things like inclusionary zoning, talking about a comprehensive plan. Um, it's very difficult in this uh, housing environment for an individual to make an ethical housing choice uh, because, you know. The, the suburbs in the, in midwestern cities were were based upon exclusion. There's many downtown neighborhoods now that were built upon exclusion. Uh, uh, you know, there's a there's massive inequalities in in Minneapolis, and some would argue that policing strategies in poorer neighborhoods are more about containing the ills of those neighborhoods within those boundaries than actually addressing them, so as to protect some of the new residents who live downtown. So a mayor and 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 local leaders who understand the dynamics of this i happen to have an amazing alderman in chicago who understands the dynamics of this and understands that you know that family is enjoying the character of their home they are enjoying the cheap price that they got and there's not a lot that they can do in and of themselves other than say move to the suburbs uh to not to not gentrify. So these things need to be understood so that we can, as a community, address these issues. Well, in terms of, you know, where Minneapolis sits and how they're handling it versus other communities, where do we fit in? Well, you know, inclusionary zoning is, is kind of messy. Um, New York is, has um, moved very quickly on it. Uh, Chicago has moved quickly on it. Minneapolis, as far as I know, and, and I'm sure you have some experts listening, so I'll, I'll tread lightly, you know, Minneapolis folks who are based there. Um, but, but by my understanding, um, Minneapolis is, is only considering inclusionary zoning. Now, basically, inclusionary zoning says when you build something new, a portion of that has to be affordable. And, and that can be dangerous as well, because that can give carte blanche to bulldoze affordable housing because you have the uh, idea that, okay, well, 10% of the, of the new units are going to be affordable. Well, maybe that person didn't want to live in the new condo building with the massage parlor on the bottom floor. Right. <laughs> maybe they wanted to live in their home, in their community. And so you talk about you know, important issues. I think a massive, massive, massive issue is cultural displacement. To what degree do people have a right to their home in terms of the things that make their neighborhood their neighborhood? Um, you know, your native New York uh, has has seen a, a, a tsunami of change uh, blow through. And so Mayor de Blasio is, you know, working to make sure that 
people land in housing, but they're not landing in housing that is where their family is. They're not landing in housing where people are on the block doing the things that they're used to seeing them do, be it playing baseball or, or you know, in the street or, or sitting on the stoop and talking with neighbors. Those things are getting disrupted. So I think a major issue that we're just seeing, be, uh, start, you know, that's starting to be addressed is this idea of, of cultural displacement. Even if people aren't economically displaced, the idea that, uh, that someone said, you know, how, how long does the community have a right to, uh, to create a stable cultural and social community? All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, John Joe Schlickman uh, and the author, one of the authors of the book Gentrifier. Thank you so much for joining us. Esme, such a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, 724, 78 degrees, much more ahead. We got to take a break. We got to give you some weather. Uh, we're going to have a discussion about what is going on with the Nicollet Mall coming up. And then in the eight o'clock hour, I will visit with my friend, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University, who's back, just back from Israel. Can't wait to hear about, you know, his take about what's going on over there, as well as his thoughts about the remarkable political events of this past week, not just nationally with, of course, the firing of James Comey as the FBI director, but also uh, the continued impasse at the Minnesota legislature. Keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 727 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy, along with uh, my friend Jonathan Lowe. On a Saturday night, 78 degrees, we're kind of entering that zone, that special zone where it is nice and bright and light and even a little bit of sunshine. This, At this hour in the evening, it's just fabulous. And when it's this kind of weather, it's awfully nice. Uh, what a perfect day and forecast for Mother's Day. We're actually going to get the specifics of the forecast, but we all deserve it, us moms, I would think. Um, I think we do. Uh, anyway, it's it's great to be with you on a Saturday night, uh, Esme Murphy. Uh, this next half hour, we're going to talk about what is going on with the Nicollet Mall uh, renovation project. It is. It feels like it's been an awfully long time, and it's uh, not been easy. Uh, we're going to visit with the project manager for that project uh, and talk about you know what is planned, and you know the stakes actually are, are not just you know for our community, but coming up here. In, what, seven, eight months, the Super Bowl is coming to town. And I think that they're estimating a million visitors. I mean, it's crazy. I remember the last I, – I actually, I'm old enough to remember, and I was working here the last time the Super Bowl was here. And there are a lot of people that come in. There are a lot of journalists from all around the country, even from around the world, who come in. And it, it really is important. The last Super Bowl was a smash. I think because the expectations were so low – I think people expected it to be sort of so miserable and it was the first cold weather market to host a Super Bowl and everything went just amazingly well. But this is the centerpiece of our downtown and it kind of looks the same as it did three years ago or two years ago. So we're going to ask the project manager about that. And then in our 8 o'clock hour, my friend Professor David Schultz uh, is just back from a trip to Israel. So we want to hear about what he did there and also get his take, and I, I have not talked with him, I've texted him because I want to make sure he was going to be back, uh, about you know his reaction to the extraordinary revelations uh, or developments, really, the past week, the firing of James Comey. And also, we have what looks like a complete impasse at the Minnesota legislature with very little time left. And it, it looks like we are heading to a situation 
where the key bills, notably the budget bill, is not going to get done. I, I, I just I don't see how it's going to happen. Uh, the deadline is a week from Monday. And if that doesn't happen, the governor will have to call a special session. And if there's no agreement by July 1st, we go into a government shutdown. And last time that happened, it was pretty brutal. And a lot of people were not happy. I think it lasted about 20 days. So we'll talk to David Schultz about that. But first, we're going to take a break and get some weather. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 735 in the Twin Cities, a very pleasant 78 degrees, as may Murphy, along with uh, studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. Uh, we are going to talk about the status of the Nicollet Mall this half hour. And in our 8 o'clock hour, we're going to visit with my friend, Professor David Schultz, just back from Israel to get the latest, uh, his take on the firing of FBI Director James Comey and the continued impasse at the Minnesota legislature with just, uh, what, nine days left, eight days left until the uh, deadline for that session to come to a close. But as I said, this half hour, we are going to visit uh, and discuss uh, the status of the Nicollet Mall Project. Uh, Don Elwood is joining us, and he is the project manager for the Nicollet Mall. Uh, Mr. Elwood, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks, and uh, thanks for having me back on WCCO. All right. Well, it's great to have you. Let me ask you. um, I know that the mall has been closed since July of 2015, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going back through photographs that I'm seeing online and some of the construction and the way it looks uh, in the winter of 2015, winter of 2016, looks exactly the way it looks now. I mean, is there any progress being made here? Uh, there is progress being made. I think that, um, <clears throat> why don't I start with, we moved in this spring right in that uh, first week of April. And since then, we've uh, actually got a lot of accomplishments, and I can I can tell you that we've got all the roadway out from Ninth uh, all the way to Washington. So all all that removal has been done, and most of the sidewalk has been done. I I do need to keep one sidewalk on one side open the entire length of the mall for pedestrian traffic, and and then with that, we've moved into many of the intersections as well. So we have uh, come in pretty aggressive in the first, I would say, six weeks. Now, what's been put back, um, I know there's change. Um, I, maybe the photo you saw doesn't have change, but I can walk you from from the south. That um, that intersection at Alice Rainville Place, that is complete. I think we're going to be opening that up uh, next week, roughly. And that's kind of like by PV Plaza, right? No, that's uh, right by the Hyatt and the Millennium and Westminster Church. Okay, well, that's that's PV Plaza. Um, the next block up, I think, is PV. That would be from well, Westminster Church. Is like the one end of PV. Yeah, Plaza. yeah, you're right. This you're is right. my this yeah. is my this is my neighborhood yeah, here. Okay, I, mean, I spent a lot of time walking this. I guess I guess what what I I guess I just want to ask you is just and how long have you been the, the director of the project? Uh, since uh, I got involved in around uh, 2015. Okay, I, as I understood it, it, it was supposed to start in 2015 and take 18 months. Twenty. I think our our start date was twenty sixteen. Well, it, the mall was closed in twenty fifteen. Yep. And I'm seeing, you know, I see pictures from, from the, the Star Tribune in January of twenty sixteen, and it's completely ripped up. I mean, it just seems like this has been interminable. 
Yeah, it has it has taken a while, and there's a significant amount of coordination that goes in. So in 2015, we moved in to have investment in the private utility side, which would have been um, the private utilities like Excel Energy, CenterPoint, CenturyLink, as well as public uh, utilities, sewer and water. And that was um, majority of 2015 until June of 2016. Then in June of 2016 is when the roadway group moved in and started to do to do their work. But uh, weren't there delays, though, because some of the projections and the estimates for the project uh, were completely off? Um, how, how do you mean pr- completely off? I think... Um, in, well, some of the bids that came in were... were off. Yeah, we had... Um, from, from what the projections were. For, for the budget? Yes. The budget? Yeah, we had... Uh, we put out a bid in roughly October of 15, and and uh, we ended up getting only a single bid there in the uh, winter of 15 that, that surpassed my ability to deliver. And I, I think coming into that, what, what we had done is we, we had two independent cost estimators um, work on what they thought that project would come in at. And they both arrived at about the same number, and we conducted uh, meetings with uh, contractors in advance uh, to tell them what we're trying to get accomplished and what the work scope was. And we also provided additional time for the contractors to put together a bid. And and um, lo and behold, we only got a single bid, and I, I couldn't move forward with that number. So we had to repackage the repackage the project and put it back out, and uh, then we were able to get successful bids. So in 2015, in the summer when the mall was closed first, because it was in the summer of 2015 that the mall was shut down, right? Yeah, in July, we took the buses off, um, okay. took the buses off the mall. I mean, when you say closed, I mean, we still had all the pedestrian travel open, and there were bikes on the mall for a while there as well. Well, I think the construction had to have started in, in, in the winter or the the fall and, and winter of 2015, if I'm looking at this picture yep, on the yep, start of it. Yep, we so it started ripping it up. Work. Yep, utility but, work. But, but what was the, well, back in 2015, what was the original final date for completion? We didn't have an original final date. We were projecting a grand opening of 2017. I did not have a final date because I needed to wait until I got a bid to put a schedule together. So I knew it would take me until 2017 to have a, a grand opening. I right. just didn't have the exact but month. I recall, though, when the farmer's market was moved, what we were all told, you know, and reporters were told, is that the farmer's market would be back on Nicollet Mall for the summer of 2017. Yeah. I, and that's I, obviously not going to happen. That will not happen. That's correct. Wait, what is – I mean – when will it be done? Because I see these signs with Mary Tyler Moore yeah. saying, you know, um, we're going to make it after all. And I think that's, you know, people – and I also saw signs. I think it was at the local. I was in the Skyway and it said, believe it or not, we're still here. I think, I think you know, for the businesses there, uh, and there's some, you know, wonderful businesses and restaurants that left. This has been devastating. I, I love the restaurants on the mall and, and uh, I talked to Josh at the local frequently and, and uh, that was a – that was a nice sign that he put up. Um, you asked when the mall is going to be done. You know, we we said substantial completion in 2017, and that got a little traction of what does that mean, and uh, what that means to the general public, to the public that's out there. Is all the sidewalks are in, the roadways in, the lights are turned on, the the trees are in, the barricades are gone, and it and it's open. 
I think there's a couple of things that um, that present a little bit of challenge for me. One is there's a, a beautiful art piece down in front of the library that's that's very large, and uh, they need to haul that in in pieces and then assemble it on site and install it. And then there could be a few trees that, due to the species and the time of the year, may not be able to be planted in the fall and have to wait until spring. But but other than that, we'll we'll be done. And, and the whole thing will be done. Yeah. Because, um, you know, obviously, I think we all know the Super Bowl is coming here. I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right now it doesn't look very good. I mean, and, and it, I guess what's – I guess, you know – Maybe it was the 35W bridge disaster um, that that has a certain in a certain mode, but I mean, obviously that had you know, and you you had people like Senator Klobuchar and Senator Coleman at the time, and and everybody working together, and they got that thing done in what less than a year. Yeah, and this, yeah. And this is twelve blocks. Yeah, yeah it's a, well, it is a mile, and that and keeping pedestrian traffic uh, open on the mall is is quite a challenge. I have two miles of pedestrian fencing and. I'm building bridges into these uh, into the storefronts. I have to keep everything open. So from a pedestrian standpoint, if I look at um, where U.S. Bank and McCormick and Schmicks and, and Men's Warehouse is, you know, to make that happen, I have to. We were bringing the pedestrians into U.S. Bank from the north past Men's Warehouse, and we had the south totally closed in front of the newsroom there, or in front of McCormick and Schmicks. And um, then we have to build that new sidewalk after we get the um, the underground structural soils for the tree system put in place. And that sidewalk goes in in a, a three to five phase process. And I, I get that sidewalk in and then I, I have to move the pedestrians coming up from the south to get into U.S. Bank while I close the part in front of men's warehouse. And then I go through that same five-step process. And then once that's completed, then I look at the east side, and I have to close that down half at a time as well, main, making sure I get um, get people into the building. So it's a it's a very orchestrated, staged process. Um, but I would like to point out we're we've got we're open on the mall from from Grant at the south. Uh, the sidewalks in on both sides, I believe, all the way up to Ninth. There, there's a couple of pockets. We need to put in some trees, but we got that sidewalk in in front of WCCO. By Target? Yep, by Target and WCCO TV. That went in this spring, and then, you know, moving as I move north. Well, I've had, like, some trouble in. getting to my Target. I guess, are you getting all – do you have the resources you need from the city? I mean, are they giving you enough workers? I have the resources. The contractor has the resources. It's more about coordination than – than orange vests on the job site right now. It's, um, you know, I can I can tell you that there is significant private investment going in on the mall. It's not just this roadway project. There's uh, investment at Westminster. Uh, Brits made some improvements. Zalo's made improvements. Target's made improvements. Nikon Fifth is new. There's that Opus development across from the library that's going in and and coordinating with that work. If I look at Westminster, for example, we came in last year. They had an eight-story building they had to remove, and so they they occupied that whole east sidewalk up until about two weeks ago to make that renovation. That's called coordination with the private side for them to make investments in the corridor as well so that when we're done with this project, we have a fully completed mall, including including the private sector investments that that are needed as well. And and I think that's a big part of it. It's that coordination that 
gives the appearance that maybe nothing's happening on that block, and and that's what's needed to, to make this happen. So the workers are then put on a different block, and, and they move on and, and do other work that that's on the critical path of the schedule to make this all happen. We are on schedule uh, to be uh, with that completion in September or uh, uh, November of 2017. And depending on where you are on the mall, some of it looks finished and some of it does not. So it kind of depends on where you are. Right. Well, I I guess, you know, just where I walk and I I walk this area quite often, you know, it it doesn't look finished um, at all. And I just drove through it because I I checked, you know, I drove, you know, across – Nicolet, you know, right at the target, which is what? Tenth. Tenth. And, and, you know, looked both ways because I knew I was going to be talking to you about it. Let yeah. me ask you, though. So you, you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people coming here for the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and all, all, a lot of the great things that were downtown are not going to be there anymore. Um, you know, is that because of the construction? I realize this may be a little beyond you, but I mean, I, I feel like the downtown has taken such a hit because of that, or this part of downtown. Certainly the North Loop is, and we just had a whole segment previously about the North Loop, and it's hot and it's ready, and, you know, it's got all kinds of cool restaurants, but this part of downtown has taken a hit. Um, it is a little beyond me. There's a lot going on in downtown, and I think when I when I work with our partners at the downtown council and the and the DID and others in downtown, they're aware of the impacts that retail is having in downtown um, and they are talking about that. And in, in fact, the redesign and reconstruction of the mall is, is part of that 2025 plan. It's it's part of reinventing that, that mall in downtown. So it's actually the reconstruction of Nickel Mall is, is part of the solution to to what we're experiencing in Minneapolis. Right. Okay. And I don't mean to hit you so hard. I mean, I think I think you have to have heard it. And we're talking talking with Don Elwood. He's the project manager. You're, you're not hitting me hard. Project. These are these well, are not surprising I, questions. You, you know, I mean, I mean, I just I just think people feel very very frustrated. I've talked to business folks. Um, I've talked to the folks at Haskell's. Um, I, I you know, and and I think that there's just a lot of frustration. There's also I got to tell you that you know, in terms of being walking down and and have, working very odd hours as I do along with. You know, many people that I work with, um, you know, it's one of the one of the privileges of working for a news organization is you get to do some really cool things, but you, you do have very odd hours. Yeah, it, it's kind of the the whole scene of that part downtown and walking around. It, it's kind of the whole, you know, there's a lot of homeless people there. I mean, it's just completely turned. Uh, you hit me with a lot of topics there, didn't you? Um, well, I just, it just, yeah, I just, I, I just, I just feel like you know, it, it's. It's it's a serious, you know. I just feel for, for somebody who has worked downtown for two decades, and and I I'm not alone in this. I know, and I know that this is an issue politically, but it's it's the character of downtown is really taking a hit, and and I'm just hoping that it can come back when this is done. And, and you're saying it's all going to be done by November. Yep. Okay, yep. so that means yep. that the bus is back there, and yeah, I'm working with uh, Metro Transit to to determine what. What they need and what I need and what they, you know, how to coordinate when those buses come back on the mall. You know, looking ahead, I, um, you know, in June, that first week of June, you're going to start seeing some trees arriving on the job site. And these are these are pretty big trees. I'm looking forward to that. And I think that second week of June, they start going in the ground. And, and all of a sudden that the mall from maybe that first six blocks really changes complexion and I, I do have a problem at a couple of intersections that we're working through but 
But uh, and, and so when you say the first six blocks, are you talking the first six blocks from from Grant all the way up to about ninth? Uh, so, and I'm sorry, Grant. You're talking. Oh, Grant. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Grant down there by uh, uh, by the Hyatt, and right. uh, you know we'll move north with uh, the plantings, and then as soon as those trees are in, we start following in with the lights, and so. As you know, we're six weeks into the summer, and I, and you know it wasn't too long ago. It was pretty, still pretty cold out, and I, 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 uh, this warm weather makes me think we're further along in the year than we are, but we we really aren't. We haven't hit, haven't hit Memorial Day yet, and so you know when we get into July, we'll start seeing some of these things coming online. And more okay. things happening on the corridor. So we're gonna, we're going to make it after all. <laughs> Well stated, yes. Okay. We're going to make it after all. Okay. Well, listen, I, I appreciate your, your answering this. Obviously, you're not the only person involved in this, but you know, I, I do think is, is that there are a lot of questions and, and you know, you're saying, hey, hang in there um, and we're going to see some changes. I think the trees would be welcome as well. Don Elwood, I, I certainly appreciate it and I appreciate your, your willing to take the, the tough questions because I think a lot of people do have questions about this one. So. Yes, they do, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very yeah. much. I appreciate Bye-bye. it. appreciate his coming on, and I certainly hope he is correct. Uh, we're going to make it after all. I could play that song here. I, if I could sing, I'd sing it, but uh, I can't sing. So anyway, folks, uh, let's take a quick break. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Oh, my. Uh, interesting discussion, and I do want to say a big thank you to Don Elwood, the project manager for the Nicollet Mall project. Uh, I, I just think that for, for people who work and live downtown, and I think more and more people are, are, are actually living downtown in that North Loop area, it, it's been tough. This, this project has been very tough, and I think a lot of people do have questions, and it's already emerging as a central issue in, in the mayor's race. Uh, there are a couple of – at least one major challenger – to uh, Mayor Betsy Hodges, who was bringing it up as an issue uh, about people are upset about it and, and they're wondering and questioning the timeline. And I just wonder when when it comes to the Super Bowl, what businesses are there going to be left there? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there are some, but I, I think the loss obviously of Macy's and that is certainly not to be completely blamed on this. I think there were other issues there, but I don't think it helped. And then the loss of that Barnes & Noble, which I think is obviously a bigger Barnes & Noble than most Barnes & Nobles, but I really like that Barnes & Noble. Uh, I, I do think it's very difficult. I think it's very difficult walking around. I think it's difficult. And as I was telling Jonathan in the break, I was sort of whining about it once, trying to get across the street and getting penned in. And I looked to my right, and there was a gentleman who was blind, who somebody had <laughs> left to help. So we'll see how it fares. Uh, we'll see if uh, – we're going to make it after all, and we'll see if in November it is all done. All right, folks, uh, coming up here on News Radio 830 WCCO, the one and only Professor David Schultz back from Israel with his perspective on Comey and the impasse at the legislature. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 